Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Hallelujah. Well, open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, please, chapter 55. We started a couple of weeks ago talking about the promise of God that keeps producing. It really is the covenant that God gave Noah after the boat crash. It's how God established societal norms from that point forward in God. He said, these things will never cease. Winter and summer, night and day, hot and cold, and seed time and harvest. And we tried to take that apart for you and show you that that promise that he set in motion, that really is the societal norm of Christianity from that point forward. You will do you no good to complain about the changing of the seasons. I mean, we, we had, you know, a cold winter and, and all of that. And I heard many of you, you know, you got tired of that. I get tired of that. But there's no, it won't do any good to complain about that. And now we've had just this multi-million dollar rain in our area here. I mean, what, what an awesome deal that is. And some of you, if you haven't gotten all your farming done, may be tempted, you know, to say, boy, if it had just wait just a little bit to rain. And I just want to tell you that the cold and the summer and the seasons, that's set in motion by God. Those are cyclical responses to the covenant that God gave Noah. And he said there will always be seed time and harvest. And so in the natural, obviously, there will be seed time and harvest. So don't, you know, here's my prophetic word to those of you who are not quite ready, you know, or it's been too wet and, you, you know, you're, you're tempted. Listen, just wait, trust God, and put the seed in the ground because there will always be a harvest. Amen? So that's what he said. And we looked in Isaiah chapter 55, and, and it began to explain to us a little bit better. So if you would, please look at verse number 9. It says, For the heavens are higher than the earth. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. He uses natural things to explain to us the way the spirit stuff works. So he says, as heaven is higher than the earth. Well, of course, everything above the earth is higher than the earth. And so are my ways higher than your ways, meaning that God's ways exist at a different plane of influence than what we have on the earth. And you just need to accept that by faith. You can't change that. That's what he's saying about that. And he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That doesn't mean you can't get his thoughts. It just means that your natural production line won't be good enough to get God's thoughts. And then he says in verse number 10, He says, for as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, we've experienced that in the last week or 10 days, and do not return there, but water the earth. We've experienced that. This is a perfect scripture for this time. And it says, it waters the earth, making it uh, bring forth and bud. They may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Make sure you know the difference and don't eat both of them. Bread for the eater is for today. Seed for the sower prepares for tomorrow. If you eat the seed, you will have no preparation for your tomorrow. And everyone said, right, you cannot eat your seed. If you eat your seed, it won't go well. Amen? You say, well, I can't afford. I need more seeds so I can have more bread. You have to trust God in this because he said seed time and harvest will not cease. It will always accomplish what he says it would. Look at that in verse number 10. It tells us that. It says, It shall not return to me void or useless or empty. It shall accomplish what I please. Notice there's an intention of God's pleasure in there. It is God's pleasure 
to accomplish his word in your life. God isn't begrudgingly doing that, man. He is happy. He's a smiling God. You need to get rid of your gray-haired God with a mean stick looking to poke you through the fence of life. That isn't how God does things. God is not angry and he's not mean. And he's not going to poke you through the experiences of life. It's not God. And when you say it is God, you're actually defeating the higher ways by trusting your ways. Well, the God I know, he always makes things miserable. That's not the God you know, that's the God you are. Amen. And so pay attention to that. And then in verse number 11, it says, towards the tail end, it'll accomplish what I please. It shall prosper. And again, you don't need a Greek or Hebrew degree to understand prosper. It means better off. It'll make it better than what you have. And that's what he said there. And it says, it'll prosper in the thing which I sent it. He has a specific design purpose in sending his word into your life. And it won't do you any good to come up with 12 scriptures to prove to him what he should be doing in your life. You need to accept his purpose in your life. You say, but pastor, I need this and I need that. I'm going to handle that in the next week or two. Because I want to tell you something. You don't need anything that God hasn't already provided for you. The difficulty is not that you don't have it. It's that you don't recognize that you have it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8, it says your father knows what you need before you ask. Do the math. If he knows what you need before you ask and you're asking for something that you don't get, you didn't ask for what you needed. Okay. Turn with me, if you will, please. We're talking about relating to the God of promise. This is the second message, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the second message in this part of this. I may have one more in this same subject matter relating to the God of promise. It's difficult to deal with what he says in Isaiah and other places if you don't know how to relate to the God of promise. If you can't accept that our Father knows what we need. In fact, that verse, can you put that verse up for me, please? Um, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 8. Sorry, Jeremy, I didn't give this to you. We'll probably touch it in the next couple of weeks. But, but notice it says, therefore, do not, it's talking about the hypocrites and, and, and all the religious folks. It says, do not be like them. It literally means don't be a reflection of their intent. For your Father knows the things you have need of. The Father has an understanding of what you need. If you think you are missing something, I, I will agree with you, you're missing something. You're missing the intent of the Father. Because you don't have a need that He hasn't already met. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. Okay, hold on with your argument for just a second. Please explain to me what you expect Jesus to do on top of willingly sacrificing His life. What else do you need him to do? Well, I need him to... See, when you live with a a mentality of lack, you will relate to your God through what he has not done yet. If you have a mentality of lack, if you have a poverty mentality, you will relate to God based on what he has not done yet. You won't see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You relate to him saying, God, I need you to do this. But God says, I know your needs, and he'd be a terrible father if he knew your needs and didn't meet them. It goes on in Luke, this this comparative picture from Matthew goes on in Luke, and it says, what father, knowing his child asks for bread, gives him a stone? 
And so much more shall your heavenly Father do. I mean, come on. He gives us these natural examples and he puts his heart in us. Ecclesiastes says us that every man has an eternity-sized hole, a God-sized hole in the heart. He says he put eternity in the hearts of men. We have a spot where this stuff fits inside our hearts. And you say, well, I just don't believe that. And that's why you keep telling God that you need something. Rather than telling him what you know he provided and then going out and dig for it. The Bible says in Colossians that in him are all the treasuries of God. In Jesus are all the treasuries. They're hidden in him. They're hidden in him. Amen. Amen. Now look at this in verse number. Um, Jeremy, I want to start in verse number 9. I saw you had, had 14 up there. This is 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Did I say 2 Corinthians? I did? Well, I was wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice verse number 9. But as it is written, now listen to me. For those of you who don't believe that you've heard God's voice, God's voice is encapsulated in his word. This is the living picture of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the living picture of the living word of God. When you read God's word, you are hearing God's voice. Don't ever say, I don't hear God's voice. See, what you're actually saying is, I'm not hearing what I want to hear. Because you have a plan that you've made God aware of. And maybe somebody even taught you, you know, you've got to bring your request to God. That isn't what that verse means. Listen, I can ask Tracy for something, okay? And she can say, but I, I, I put it, this is how our household works. I have a shelf in my closet. It's my shelf. If Tracy finds my stuff, she picks it up and puts it. On my shelf. Where is it? Okay. And when I ask her, hey, did you see my? I need my. Where is it again? Okay. When you go to God and you say, I need, I need, I need. And he says, I put it on the shelf. <laughs> I put it in the book. Yes, but God, I need it. Okay. It's, I mean, it's right here. It's in here. Well, but no, you're just not getting what you want. It is written, I has not seen. See, this is that same Isaiah scripture. His ways are higher than I haven't seen. My eye hasn't seen this. No natural way to perceive this. No natural way to hear it. No natural way to put it in my heart. God always wants more. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So whatever your best plan is, you're already selling it short because God wants to give you more than that. Right? See, some of you are looking at me going, well, but I don't have more because you keep asking for what you already have. If my stuff is on the shelf of my closet, don't I still have it? It's just located someplace different. So I go look for it. When I get there, I dig through the little square area where she puts all my stuff. By the way, if you wouldn't have left it there, you wouldn't have to look for it. I don't remember the last time I said, 
I don't know where my Bible is. I've never lost my Bible. Never. Want to know why? Because I value it. And I got it right here. And I just those of you who know me very well, you know I give a lot of Bibles away. Well, the reason I give them away is... Once I underline in a section of scripture and I come back to it, I realize I need to change Bibles because old manna, yesterday's teaching, isn't good enough for God's people. So I get a Bible that isn't underlined in and I start over. You say, well, that doesn't sound very profitable. Thank you for your giving. Your church buys me new Bibles. I have two brand new Bibles in my office right now. They just came last week. See, that means that I'm getting close. And so you need to get your faith out there if you need a new Bible. Well, I couldn't take your Bible, but could God give it to you? The things which God has prepared for those who, you cannot imagine what God has prepared for you. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. If you're looking with your natural eye, you'll never find it. If you look with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you. Remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil? The very verse previous to that says he went out in the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Spirit himself led Jesus out into the wilderness. I'm just here to tell you that the Holy Spirit will teach you things in the most unusual ways and circumstances because he needs you to get past your own personal strength. He needs you to have the only trust you can have is in what God is doing in your life. You can say, well, God isn't doing much in my life. And you're probably not doing much to dig up what he hid for you either. Verse number 10, God revealed them for the Spirit searches. The Spirit searches all things. It's the Spirit of God that's searching those things out. Verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but rather the spirit who's from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Again, the process here is God gives this stuff freely. So when we relate to him, we can't relate to him based on the sacrifice that we're willing to pay so that he can do his work. He does his work in spite of who we are. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's why you're not experiencing it. I want you to believe that God blesses you because of what Jesus does and how the Holy Spirit leads you in these very situations. Amen. Now notice, natural folks, would you put up that first quote, please? The natural folks, this is verse number 14. Let me read it to you. You can put up that quote so they can write it down. But the natural man does not receive the things of God. Nor can he know them. Remember when he said, my knowledge is better than yours. My way is better than yours. I know more than you. Of course, they can't be naturally discerned, but they're spiritually discerned. Literally, there's a Holy Spirit given assistance. Literally, a scrutiny is how this word is. It says they're spiritually discerned. They're scrutinized by the help of the Holy Spirit. You need to do this every day in your life. You need to scrutinize the circumstances by what the Holy Spirit is saying on inside of you. See, the natural man cannot receive these things. So natural folks relate to the God of promise based on what they are waiting on God to do. That's the natural guy. And they'll sit back and say, well, if God wanted me healed, he'd heal me. And they don't do anything to dig the truth of the word of God out and live by what God hid for them in the word. Now, I'm not saying it's dependent 
on what you dig up. I'm saying the word not being discovered means you miss what was in the discovery. I told you the story last week of the, of the largest mine. I think it's in Papua New Guinea or something. Anyway, it's over there. And, and they were looking for copper. And they found, you know, 810 metric tons of copper. But they also found almost 900,000 troy ounces of gold. And 1.3 or 3.1 metric ounce or uh, uh, troy ounces of silver. See, what were they looking for? Copper. What did they find? Gold and silver. They found more precious than what they were looking for. Right? And so we go looking. We're saying, God, oh yeah, God, help me here. And what does he show us? He shows us something that becomes the foundation for something we never imagined for him to do in our life. See, that, you can't imagine those things. So that's why it says spiritual folks relate to God by the promise. What he's done, who he is, and what he has said. This is where we were last week. So I'm going to give you three ways to try. I may not get all of them in today. I'm going to give you three ways to relate, literally to show or to make a connection to the God of promise. Now, I know you're saying, wait a minute, I thought you said he was just going to do this. You must connect. your. It's like electricity. The anointing is similar to electricity. You have to connect to the power source, God, so that you can have your sight anointed to see what only people who are anointed can see. Only people who are, who are spiritually discerning can see. See, the reason you're in church today has something to do with spiritual discerning. If you came today hoping that God was going to make a check mark on the blackboard of heaven based on your attendance here, you've made a mistake. God has church services so you can get something deeper than a check mark on the holy blackboard. He's not even keeping track of that. You say, well, I thought he was. It's not works-based, people of God. It's simply not. It's based on his stuff, not on your stuff. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to show the connection to what he's done. It's literally the finished work. See, all of what we're dealing with here has to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, the Bible says, as Jesus is being crucified, they poked him in the side and they'd offered him some sour wine and that kind of stuff. And then he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. King James says he gave up the ghost. I love it. So here it is, verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now he's talking about the prophetic that led up to that, poking him inside, you know, doing all the things that, that happened to him. He was between two, two sinners, when that, two thieves when that happened and so forth. And no one had control over his life. He willingly gave it up. So that's all prophetic stuff that the, that the Messiah would do. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. That's the point of all of this. Spiritual folks know their work is based on relating to his work. Do you see it? Spiritual people recognize that their work is based on his finished work. What he does, not what we do. I cannot possibly lead a church effectively without what God's already done. I can't do it. You can't either. You can't run your business that way. You can't raise your kids that way. You need what Jesus did. You need the finished work. Now, that's kind of what we talked about last week, but I want to show it to you in a, in a, in a more significant way this week. If you would, just turn to Luke chapter 12. This is part of that passage that I began to quote just a little bit ago. 
And notice, if you would please, the 22nd and following verse of Luke chapter 12. This is very similar to that area in Matthew chapter 6. And the verse we remember in Matthew chapter 6 is also here. Is that, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That's where this all leads. But in the midst of that, he gives us this great promise. So notice in the 22nd verse. It says, then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, nor about the body, and what you'll put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And he goes through these natural examples. The very same thing that Noah had with his covenant with God. He said, look, day and night's going to continue. Seasons are going to continue. Cold and, and warm going to continue. And seed time and harvest is going to continue. He used natural examples to prove to him the spiritual significance of the covenant. That's what he did with Noah. That's what he does with us. Look down to... to uh, uh, verse number 26 says, if then you are not able to do the least. He said, by worrying, can you actually make this better? See, many times people worry based on what they believe they're lacking. Well, what are you going to do? Well, are you completely out? Are you completely destitute? Here's the thing that happens to me. Tracy and I are traveling a lot right now, taking care of our family. And so occasionally when we come home, because we haven't been around as much, there's not as much stuff in the cupboard. It's not empty, but I don't want what's in there. I looked here recently, and there were black olives. Now, I love black olives and green beans. I love green beans. But the two of them together don't make a meal in my perception of being starving. Could I have lived on black olives and green beans? Would it have hurt me to maybe not eat quite as much as what a guy my size, you might imagine, what I can eat? Would it have hurt me? Would it hurt you? Some people consider not having what they want like a two-year-old. And I thought today as I was planning, not today, but leading up to this, I thought about, about actually laying down on the floor up here and throwing a fit and kicking and flopping my arms and doing all that kind of stuff because, oh, woe is me, because I only had black olives and green beans. But none of you would have been impressed by that any more than you're impressed by it when you see it either in your house or at the grocery store. You wouldn't have been impressed by my lack of perception that God actually did supply all of my needs by his strength. I had a freezer full of stuff. But it's frozen. It's frozen. I have to work at it when it's frozen. See, sometimes what God does, he hides things for us. It's kind of like having, I, there's lots of great stuff in our freezer. I mean, lots of great stuff in our freezer. But it's frozen. Do you feel sorry for me yet? No, of course not. Why? Because you hear and see the immaturity based on that position. Just because it's frozen doesn't mean that you're starving to death. I mean, duh. Get something out and cook it. You all know that before I became a pastor, I made my living in the restaurant business. I can cook. I know if it's frozen, get it out of the freezer. But it's so much easier for me to be immature and complain. 
Come on, I swung the bat and hardly any of you ducked. It is so much easier to be immature. We worry and fuss and fret. We say it's not going to work. I, saw, I, just, I am a living example of all the times I thought it wasn't going to work, that it actually worked. I'm still here. All the times I thought when I told God it would just be better, God, if I could just die. I know none of you have ever done that. I'm the one who's explained that away, you know, where you got into the place where you never, ever got to that serious thing where you actually thought it would be better rather than going through what you're going through to be dead. None of you have ever done that, but you can follow my example. Notice if you would, please. Verse 29, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things. The nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things. Can I point out to you that God knows what you need way better than you do? For all these things, the nations of the world seek. Remember last week when I told you about that mine that they're mining out all that precious metal out of? It's happening in one of the poorest nations in the planet. Come on, do the math with me. I don't know what a ton of copper is worth, but it's worth enough that people are stealing waste, like, like cut off of the, of the electrician's wire on the end. They're, they're stealing that stuff to go sell it. It's worth something. Gold's about $2,000 an ounce. They got 850,000 troy ounces times 2,000. And the nation is poverty stricken. Now I got questions. How can you dig up all the treasures and not be blessed? Because you're looking for something rather than what you actually found. They found all the prosperity they would need. Amen. Showing the connection to what he's done, the finished work. Connect yourself to the finished. I know that God sent Jesus to die. The Bible says it pleased him to crucify his son. I don't get it. I can't get my mind around it. But I know inside of that are hidden all the riches, all the treasuries of heaven. It's hidden in there. See, sometimes when we dig for our blessing, our blessing we're digging for is comfort. Not what God wants to show us. My wife and I are not always comfortable at this season in our life. It's not easy. But isn't we're, we're not, I mean, most of the time, we're not looking for comfort. We're looking for a word. We're looking for a promise. We're looking for a hope. We're looking for God's word to say to us, this will sustain you. When you dig it up, be sustained by it. Thank you, Lord. Spiritual folks know their work is based on relating to his finished work. Please, buy into this one. Here's the second one. Showing the connection to who He is. It's the foundation of our work. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, says there, verse 11, says there is no foundation laid other than the one that is laid in Jesus Christ. Everything that we do in life fits on the foundation of Jesus Christ. What you need to understand is the foundation of Jesus Christ is bigger 
than what you can imagine right now. So sometimes there are just doctrinal differences and, 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 and narrowing of those things. And we say, well, we don't believe in that in our, in our group. Our group doesn't believe in these things. And so we narrow down these things. Some groups believe that, that, that God can minister to you through pain. And I, I would agree it's possible for that to happen, but I would disagree that it's his plan. Because if it's his plan, then we should hit our kids on the head with a baseball bat and send them to school because everybody learns better in pain. It doesn't make any sense naturally. We need to spiritually discern what God is doing and how the Holy Spirit is working. And so we find that we're supposed to be building on those things. The Bible tells us that we build on those things with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. There are three choices inside of this. The Bible says in this verse, if, um, that's the next verse, Jeremy, please, 12 maybe. Yep. It says, now if anyone builds, there's an there's a, there's a if in there. So we know that there are two different kinds of building materials there. Wood, hay, and straw. And if you read down a couple of verses, it says a man's work's going to be tested by fire. If you put fire to the wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to disappear. If you put fire to the precious stones and the gold and silver, it's going to get better. It's going to get better by the fire. Now go back to verse number 12, please. It says, if anyone builds, you have three choices here. Here's one of your choices. You can build with wood, hay, and stubble. That's not a good choice. Number two, you can build with gold and silver and precious stones. That's a good choice. But most people, by default, don't build. That's the third choice. If anyone builds. See, we miss the opportunity to talk about whether or not we're even building. One of the choices we have is to never build anything. It says, if you build. Listen to me, people of God. It is your responsibility to mine out the building materials in the foundation of Jesus Christ and build out on that. To literally make noticeable the foundation of Jesus Christ. In everything that we do. We're to do that. So we choose the right building material and we build. See, a lot of people miss the building part. It says, if anyone builds, which means it's possible for us not to build. Amen? Now notice here, just turn over if you would please to Colossians chapter 2. Are we okay? Are you learning? Let me find this in Colossians chapter 2. God's eternal power company. There we go. Notice the second verse and following of Colossians chapter 2. It says, he's talking about the people. He says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. This, This is us building now. All the fullness, the riches of the fullness, or the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God. The mystery of God is something secret. It's hidden for us. But notice what it says in the next verse. In whom are hidden all of the treasuries of wisdom and knowledge. Inside of Jesus Christ are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's asking us to mine, literally to dig down deep into the things that we're dealing with through Jesus Christ and find the building material and build with that. We build, by the way, just so that you kind of notice this, If you build with fire-tested gold, you're going to have a really shiny building. 
Who builds with gold? I mean, come on. God does. Why? He's trying to bring notice to the supporting structure. You cannot build a gold building on sand. It must be something that is solid and and immovable. So we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and we find that part where maybe it's been ignored. I don't, I I hope that this isn't too much for you, but, but let me process with you for just a second. If you follow church history, we spent 1,500 years basically between the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, and the development of the Catholic church. The holy cat, now I don't mean traditional Catholic churches. I mean the one church. That's what we had. And when man got a hold of that, at some point, it became all about doing in man's ways. In fact, when Martin Luther came along, he had to climb up, I think there were uh, some number of stairs, and he came up with 96 theses that he nailed on the door of the, of the church. And from that point came Protestantism. Meaning that what was left out before by man has now been discovered. And what he discovered was faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so we had this little teeny foundation of Jesus Christ that built the holy, the one church called the Catholic. And again, I'm not talking about the the present day Catholic church exactly, but but they had one church. Okay, (laughs) and Catholic just means that it's the one church. Okay, then, then Martin Luther came along and, and he said, wait a minute, we can't build this small because look what I found over here. I found that faith in Jesus Christ alone opens these things up. So all of a sudden, the foundation of Jesus Christ, which was already this size, was discovered. That makes sense? It didn't not exist. It was discovered. And 150 years later, John Knox and, and, and some of those came along and, and they started something called the Reformed Movement. And they took Scripture and they said, wait a minute, the Reformation is a different understanding of the Word. Okay, And so they became Reformers and they, and they said, wait a minute, look at here, look at all this stuff we discovered. The foundation of Jesus Christ was already this big, but somebody discovered it. And then in the 1700s, the Wesley brothers came along and and we get the Wesleyan church and the Methodist church out of that. Now, it's not important what the churches are, but, but they discovered these things that were Jesus. They dug down and found the treasuries that were in Jesus. And let me just point out to you, I've been mentioning churches that have lost, just like Revelations tell us, have lost their first love. See, and, and, and so those churches are, 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 are failing and falling because they haven't stayed faithful to the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's not man that's doing this, right? <laughs> okay, stay off that high horse. So then we come forward a little bit further and we see other groups. And by the time we get to the 1900s, there's some real crazy people out there. One group in Wichita and one group in Los Angeles. And a Pentecostal renewal started. Now you say, oh, I don't believe in all that stuff. It's okay. The foundation that is Jesus Christ includes that. And they just said, look what we found. It always existed. And then we start, and then, praise God, stuff started speeding up. 
And by the 1940s, we had several little mini things in there. But in 1940, the Lord evidently saw fit to shine a light on another part. And the healing revival started. And dozens and dozens and dozens of ministers were raised up to take the healing power of God to the nations. Now, I don't believe in that, right? You know, oh, no, he doesn't do that. Okay, see... If you stand on your little piece of foundation and you say, well, I just don't believe anything, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means you don't believe it. It's okay. You don't have to. I'm not here to force you. I'm just saying that what God did was begin in the 40s to shine a light. And we get healing. We get the charismatic renewal, which actually we get the, the, the renewal of God's love. You've seen the movie about the hippies and the, and the Calvary Church, you know, with, with uh, um, who is that guy? Great glory, yeah. Okay, so you see all that? that? That happened in the 60s and the 70s. And the love of God was just poured out. And God just loved everybody. And everybody thought, yeah, God loves us. And all these people who didn't deserve God's love were in the church saying, we deserve God's love. And all the old gray-haired religious people said, listen, you're making our carpet dirty and you're sitting in, in the way in, in this chair that I'm sure my grandparents bought with their money. And now, every five to 20 years, God reveals something. He just shines a light. And all we're doing is seeing a bigger part of the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you understand that. Because we have to connect to Jesus, who is the foundation of our work. He's already been laid out. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me give you the last one real quickly. We need to show our connection to what he said. What he said. It's the provision of our work. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, I speak, I believe and therefore I speak. I believe and therefore I speak. People of God, that's one of the foundations of the personhood of Jesus Christ. See, when, when, when Jesus was on the earth, he went to religious people and, and he said, you people don't understand. Remember when he called the religious people, you know, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones? Wow. See, they didn't understand. And so what happens is he begins to speak or has been speaking. And he begins to emphasize certain areas of speaking. He literally shines a light of heaven onto the foundation that is him. And he says, here's the way it works. Now, Paul gives us the best example of this in Philippians chapter 4. So if you'd turn there, please, I'll just spend just a little bit of time and then we'll pick this up again next week because there's so much more. See, if this is never going to end, then we have to be able to display our connection to it. If seed time and harvest never ends, if the God of promise never ends, we've got we to be able to show or make our connection to that. Now, notice what it says in, in Philippians um, um, chapter uh, 4. And verse number 11. And I'm, I'm going to shorten this just a little bit because I'll, I'll, I'll touch it again next week. It says not, this is Paul now speaking to this church. He said, not that I speak in regard to need. See, when we begin to process this and show our connection to what God has already said, we have to stop doing our speaking in regard to what we're lacking. Paul learned this. He said, I don't speak in regard. He did not make covenant with lack. He didn't regard it as value. He said, I do not speak with regard 
to need. Now, I've told you this. This is one of my favorite areas to teach. But the word for speak there is that word that we are all very call, very uh, 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 aware of, cognizant of, the word lego, L-E-G-O. All of you have stepped on a lego only to find out what kind of legos lived in your heart. See, the lego is the story that's built. Right. When your kids get a, a, you know, back in the olden days, I was way better parent than new parents today. New parents, you can buy your kids a Lego set with instructions and it comes out and it makes something. In the olden days, you just bought a box of Legos. They came in multiple lengths, multiple sizes, multiple colors, and you had to build whatever it was. It didn't have, there were no instructions. And when you went to the Lego store, you just bought them by the ounce, you know, and you dug your little scoop in there. And you put some in the bucket and you got you some green ones and some square ones and some long ones and whatever you needed to build with to, to create your story. You bought those Legos. Well, now you buy the store and you can't actually make a mistake. You follow the instructions in the new Legos, which is similar to what God does with us. See, the instructions are in here. Build what he says. He says, I don't talk in regard to need, for I have learned. Notice it's a process of learning. This is the one we're going to spend the most time on. Paul said, I have learned. Now listen to me and listen to me carefully. Paul was religiously trained and a Pharisee. So he was likely the most educated and potentially the most wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. What did he say? He said, I've learned. What did he learn? Look at he said, I've learned in whatever state I am. He did not judge his position by the state he was in. He judged his position by the person he was connected to and what that person had said. Do you see it? He said, I don't speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I... See, he had the same problems we had. In fact, he said, I, he said to these people, he said, boy, you just didn't have a need to give to me. I knew you wanted to give to me to, to further the gospel, but you just didn't have the ability, you know, or we didn't have the time, we weren't connected. Just, but I'm so glad that you've had the opportunity to give. You know, he says that twice. He says to these people, and he says to the people in, Cor- in Corinth. He said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, again, if you're not content, it's because you're being governed by the state that you're in. Are you with me? What is the state of your living? Well, I'm in need. No, you believe you're in need. God already provided for your needs. He's getting ready to say that right here, according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's already, he's already provided for your need. Your problem is you're not looking. You're not looking. I know how, verse 12, I know how to be abased. Nobody wants to learn that lesson. Nobody wants to learn how to be abased, how to live in what would be perceived as lack and still be content. Nobody wants to learn that lesson. We want to be content because we have more than we could ever use and more is coming. And I know how to abound. That's the lesson I want to learn. I want to figure out, God, how to live with the fullness of all your stuff. That, that's so much better than learning how to be a baby, but going through struggles by having to dig and work hard to find the revelation truth that God hid in the person of Jesus Christ, the foundation that I'm standing on. That's hard work. 
but I know it's in there. I have learned to both be full and to be hungry. I'd rather be full. I just want to tell you right now, I'd rather be full. When we were in Imperial, our church was about six or eight miles from Central Time. So the people that drove from Central Time to ours, by the time I was just getting wound up at 11 o'clock, it was noon for them. And it took me, you know, I'm lightning quick, but it still took me a long time to figure out why are some people fidgety? I mean, this is really good work. And then I realized that the fidgety people all lived in Central Time. And I realized the problem wasn't theirs, it was mine. That I didn't honor their time. And so, to this day, it's the reason that I try and get you out here by 1130. I, I split the difference with you. You can thank the Central Time people in Nebraska. You don't mind, right, beating the other people to the restaurant. I know how to be full and how to be hungry. Amen? I'm showing the provision he's provided. Because then he said, both to abound and suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply. When we tear this apart in the weeks to come, I'm going to show you how God knows your needs. And I'm going to show you what it means to live a non-need-based life. Literally living in the blessing of God. The blessed life is so much different than what you can imagine. It's so much different. It's actually in Matthew chapter 5. Go see if you can find it. Okay, Come back next week, having read Matthew 5, and see if God allowed you to discover what He hid there for you. Amen? Come on, music team. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you please? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this time that we've had together. We pray today, Father, that your word will richly indwell us, Father. We'll be able to dig into the foundation that is Jesus Christ and find all the treasuries of God's wisdom and knowledge. We just thank you, Lord God, that we can do that. Because in those things are the supply, the according to part. Riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's the according to part that we're looking for. His glory, His riches inside of Jesus Christ. Thank you that promise never ends. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.